welcome to the Vet Space Ireland podcast. I am Michelle McGuire. And I'm Hazel Mullins. Vet Space Ireland's main aim is to entertain, inform, engage and inspire. And we are delighted to have our podcast back up and running. We are so excited to welcome Tommy Heffernan, aka Tommy the Vet, as our first guest on the podcast. He's a veterinary consultant here in Ireland and a wonderful ambassador for the veterinary industry. Hi Tommy, how are you? Nice to see you. Welcome. Good, uh, thank you very much. And before we start, I have to say to the two of you for the second time, uh, recorded this time, well done to both of you on, uh, on VetSpace. It took um, real thoughts to start it. It's really an important subject matter that you're dealing with. And I think you've cre- you're creating a little bit of a movement. So uh, well done, well done, kudos. <laughs> Thanks very much. We've only had about 25 nervous breakdowns since we started. Yeah, it's been um, a roller coaster, um, but... <laughs> We're still here and, you know, this is the first podcast. I know it's a little bit delayed. I suppose we, we had big plans back in March and then COVID hit and then I think we went down more the social media route, but we're back on track and we always had you in mind to be our first guest, Tommy. I, I remember talking to you back in March and you were like, oh yeah, just give me, give me, a, give me an email and I'll come on. So here you are and thank you so much. Um, so we're just going to talk really about you and your story and maybe branch off a little bit into kind of I suppose what you do outside veterinary and your passions within veterinary and the like and yeah just have a bit of fun. Yeah so I guess if you would just I mean we know you and I hope I would think that most of our listeners will know you but for maybe a few people who don't will you just tell us about your journey maybe your veterinary journey and how it started from the beginning like why you got into veterinary where you went to college and kind of from there. Okay, um, so I'm from Kerry originally. Um, I'm now uh, halfway through my life. I'm 40, I reckon I'll get to 80. Um, so when I, when I was a young kid, my parents were teachers and my creche was my mother's uncle's farm. Uh, and I spent my whole youth there uh, with my uncle and my aunt. And they had sheep and, and, and sucker cows. It was a small farm. So I got interested in farming then. We always had a few dogs. I liked animals. Uh, got to my leaving cert year, I actually wasn't that sure what I'd do. I didn't think I'd have the ability to get into vet college, uh, but I studied like a lunatic uh, for my leaving cert. And I got into UCD in 1997. Spent five great years in UCD and a uh, brilliant time. So I wasn't a very academic student. I, I went to school, I went to college when I was 17 and I really cut loose and uh, socially uh, enjoyed myself. Uh, I got through vet college and I qualified 2002. Went to Kildare for a couple of months and then I landed in Wicklow where I joined the practice uh, Avondale Veterinary and I really got on well there and I became a practice partner in 2006 and I uh, was a partner in that practice in 2016 where I up sticks and left practice which was I'm still contemplating whether it was a good or a bad move so that's sort of a brief summary of uh, my career. And you know being a practice owner after four years in practice is it? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was, that was a big I, I, it, it was massive, but I wasn't ready for it. I was, I was completely, um, I was naive about business, um, and I, I knew I was very, like, I've always been ambitious, uh, but I, I, I was very naive, and I, I took it on. And when I, when I bought into the practice, practice was actually 
and the other partners would say this now it was struggling financially we had to get business coaches in we had to do a whole range of things and i went from being friends with my colleagues to their boss and i didn't i didn't transition well there so i wasn't a good boss for a few years i then got all upset about credit and practice and actually getting money in so then i wasn't the nicest vet to some of my clients so it was a real tricky period for me actually my career um, i learned a lot but i made an awful lot of mistakes um, and thankfully, over the 10 years, uh, I rectified a lot of them and became a better boss. Um, and I certainly developed better, repaired a lot of relationships that I might have even damaged through probably inexperience um, at that time. And um, it was a very steep learning curve. Yeah, it took a lot of courage because I'm even thinking I'm seven years out now and I couldn't even make a cash flow statement if I tried. Um, you know, so well done for taking the jump but I, I think it's it's good to acknowledge that it was tough and how what you've learned from it and I think um but then you left practice Tommy and went into more consultancy roles and tell us about that journey yeah so that was that was it like maybe like so I, I was in practice for years and years but then I suppose over the last maybe seven or eight years of that time in practice that struggle actually changed me a little bit because i was really i got really stressed in practice really under came under pressure and i got through that and i developed and i kept learning and then i got more interested i was doing small animals and a certain small animal medicine i was doing a lot of them then i moved to, to large animals i really got interested in prevention medicine and i got interested in communication and i contacted local papers and i wanted to write a few articles for you and they said oh, if you're mad enough to do it for free yeah we'll let you do it so i started doing all these things and i started looking outside practice then and i got to the stage maybe uh, clinically that I felt I, I didn't maybe couldn't go much further in practice and I wanted to try other things out and um, I had a few business ideas they failed um, and I was doing them in practice and I felt I was never going to really do anything of huge significance when I was so tied into the business so I left practice and um, I'm still at uh, four years now nearly since I've three and a half years and I'm still wondering I do have times and I think my god I would have been better off as a solid business um, and five, I've married June, we have five kids now. Um, and I put us as a family under a lot of pressure with some of those decisions. Um, so maybe I'm a bit selfish there, but um, I, uh, there's days I, 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 I do question it. I don't regret it now, I don't regret it. But, but I have, I've, I started a whole new, it was, like going, it was like becoming a vet again. It's like starting at the very beginning for some of the work that I'm doing. Yeah. I had to start again. And I went out very naive and um, I called myself a consultant. Uh, I changed in my, link, my LinkedIn profile. And, and that's how I became a consultant. And I think I wasn't probably ready, um, but I've had a lot of, I worked with the Farmers Journal in that period for 16 months. I, I did enough with the Farmers Scholarship, I was very lucky to be one of them. And uh, I suppose over that period of time, I felt uh, when I left the journal in January that I had the momentum and the skill set to really develop into something. And then along came COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can understand that. I mean, we, I, neither nor Hazel or I have kids or that kind of responsibility but we certainly can appreciate um you when you said there like I, I was never going to be able to do it properly or well when I was involved in the business in the practice as well like we're a bit like that with Fit Space all the time we just we work so hard in our actual jobs yeah. and then we get so we put so much pressure on ourselves with Fit Space because we feel like we're never doing enough or we're only doing it halfway and, but we can't afford to leave our jobs since vet space costs us money. It doesn't make us money <laughs> yet. But I guess we can understand from a little point of view, do you know what I mean? Like, it, the, you know, how hard it was to do that because it was very yeah. nerve-wracking for us and we didn't have, you know, families 
to really looking after ourselves. Like, so fair play to you. Like, that's really yeah. admirable. I think it's all relative, I think it's all relative uh, to every person. So someone could have 10 kids, no kids, uh, you know, single, married, whatever it is. It's, it's how you deal with the pressure yourself. I suppose I'm not really afraid of taking risks, um, obviously. Yeah. And, and I'm continuing to take them. I'm about to take another one. And um, so I, I'm not afraid. I've learned, one of the things I've learned is actually take, you have to take a few risks because, yeah. um, in that uncomfortable space, when you move into it, if you can push through it, you're at a whole different level, maybe personally or professionally at the other side of it. Now that's a very hard sell to most people, but for me, that's what I've learned along the way. That if I take a few risks and I challenge myself, even if I fail, there's huge learning in the failure. I think I can identify with you, Tommy, because I feel that, you know, sometimes the box gets very small around you and you feel like you don't want to be stuck in that box. You want to maybe move to a bigger box and think outside of that box even. And I definitely, you're someone that I probably look up to and look and, you know, get inspiration from, you know, with all, you know, how you've moved away from practice and how you, you are thinking outside the box and going places yeah. maybe that other vets hasn't, you know, even thought about. And, you know, even with the social media side, and I know it's a love-hate thing with you, isn't it, social media? <laughs> and how, how do you find your interactions and how do you use it every day? And... Yeah, so, so social media was part of that journey for me. I, one of my big struggles in practice was with social media. Um, but I, I learned to, I suppose I learned that it is the place to connect with people. And I had a message around preventing disease and that message kind of expanded a little bit. Um, again, I started doing videos and writing blogs. And again, I didn't know a huge amount about my subject. So what I had to do was I had to get really good at my subject. So I was learning. So from that perspective, was really good. I made massive connections. It's, it's, it's been valuable to me because it's made me more valuable, I suppose, for some of the commercial work that I do. Um, but I struggle with it because of... Um, and I have a little note in my in my my wallet. Like people are listening to this now. We're on Zoom, but I have a little note in my wallet, and it, it always reminds me, kind of sums up. It's 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 there's a name on it. Alan Kurdi. It's uh, he's a little Syrian boy who was washed up in the beach. In, oh, yeah. uh, but it was four years ago, and I remember I was we were on holidays in Dingle with the kids, and I was sitting in the couch, and I saw that, and we were after being at the beach that day, and I wondered how humanity would get to a place where that was how that little boy ended up trying to escape, and. And I was just putting a, a social media message together, you know, to tell the world how, 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 I, how, how I felt. And I realized that, uh, that, you know, that's one thing about social media. It's a bit of an echo chamber. And I, like, did I really mean what I, was going to, what I was going to put into social media? Or, you know, was I actually going to do anything different? So that's one of my struggles with social media is that it can be an echo chamber for noise. It get, can polarize people a lot. Um, it can be very un it can be very unnerving as well because you know you're, you when you put yourself out there you're open to everyone's opinion. They might be having a bad day. They might like the sound of your voice. They might like the way you look. So it can be really it, it's been good. And sorry, I don't give short answers now, girls. It, it can be good, but it can be incredibly difficult as well. Yeah, and I think I I ventured onto the Twitter sphere last week. And I, you know, was very, very, I'm very, very used to my Instagram platform. And I know you were on Twitter and you have a lot of followers on Twitter and you're well used to it, but it was like a shock to the system to me. And I think, um, yeah, I don't think I'll be venturing on it much, much more, to be honest. I think I like the positivity of Instagram and I like kind of the safety maybe of, of my little community on there and, and everything. And I love interacting, but yeah, I know it takes a lot of courage to go out and just put things out there into the world sometimes. And you're, and it does affect you when people come back and kind of say things that you didn't mean, 
plan on meaning you know they might take you up the wrong way and stuff so it's like oh but um I don't know I think I think all your videos and stuff Tommy like even in the farming community they're so you know educational and just easy to follow and you break things down into things that are very manageable and even if it's a massive topic yeah you know so it's brilliant and and tell us more about Ag Inspire like where did you get the idea for that and and i listened to i haven't listened to all of them but i've listened to a good few and they're amazing yeah they're, they're very really good. good well ag inspire was and i'm a little bit i'm a little bit um impulsive um i don't let ideas dwell in my head <laughs> really i just yeah 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 <laughs> I, that creates that creates massive challenges so i i, I was on a farm uh, in february and I was with a group of dairy farmers and people within the dairy industry. And we were doing a building capacity workshop and we were looking at animal health business and personal capacity. And um, I came up with the terms now. So, so but, but I was just amazed. The lady that went to the farm, I arrived a bit early. She showed me around the farm. And I, from the very start, she just, you know, it's like that uh, Jerry Maguire film. She had me at hello. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, it was really like the interest she had in her, where a farm was, the passion she had for it. Then we talked about animal health and she really wanted to get more information. She wanted to learn. Then her knowledge of her business and it was a big farming business, a big dairy business with two employees. And then we got to the personal capacity piece. And, you know, she was so open, honest, wise and humble. I remember ringing my two friends, uh, my two best friends on the way home and I said, absolutely inspired by this lady and it was in the back of my head you know there's so many inspiring people in agriculture there's so many inspiring people everywhere um, and again I had found maybe you know with COVID and social media you know the whole Donald Trump there's so much polarization in the world so it's just about maybe talking to people and having conversations with them uh, about how interesting and inspiring they are because I think it's you know it's not what they're doing so much just the people themselves. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's so much, especially during COVID, there's so much need for content. People are consuming such huge amounts of content. And there's so much, as you said, polarization in the world and so much negative content out there that it's so nice to have good, inspiring content. And people are always looking for content within their their field as well, which is... Yeah, we we definitely didn't expect VetSpace Ireland to take off the way it has. And, you know, even this month we're doing that Vets Get Physical and it's gas like everyone is really um on board and there's a couple of big characters and they're you know they're just getting behind us and it's it's brilliant to you know just communicate a message as well and i think yes it's it's we're very proud of that I think it's really important what the subject matter you're talking about. Um, and, and, and when you go back to vet, vets get physical, so I, I do social media and look, I, I probably use it for shameless self-promotion in business, but I do go on to it and do enjoy it as well. And I'm watching uh, the top of the vet as he uh, breaks down. <laughs> into, uh, it's just brilliant. You know, it's, so yeah, it, it's, it's so good. But I think it's important what you're talking about is you're talking about the real things that affect. It's one of the challenges for vets, it's challenges for farming. It's the real things. It's our mental health, it's our physical health and professional development. So it's really, really important what you're doing. And I think, again, kudos to both of you. And there will be times where you'll wonder why you're doing it, but just keep doing it and keep doing it because um, I think it's very, very important. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Well, as you were saying, that's one of the challenges. Like that was one of the questions we were going to ask you. Like, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing the veterinary industry and and the agricultural industry at present, apart from mental health? Because we know that that is a big challenge. But 
in your opinion? I, I, I'm not an expert. Like, I, I definitely don't claim to be an expert in anything, really. I'm just kind of talking much and know a little bit about a few things. Um, but I suppose from, from in the veterinary industry, there's different challenges in different sectors. Um, whether it be small animals, equine, uh, and particularly maybe large animal medicine. Um, so there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a number of challenges there. On agriculture, I think the big challenge is, um, is the environment and how we move forward with, with the production of food, make sure we have farmer sustainability, environmental sustainability, we produce high quality food. And then there's a whole argument around food itself, because I think we're in agriculture and food, and even as vets, um, you know, we're in the business of human health almost with, with yeah. livestock. And I Paddy Wall said that. I think that's really important. So there's some really unbalanced debates in agriculture at the moment. There's some real challenges we need to face up to. And I think, and I think it's like in veterinary and agriculture and everything. It's, it's 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 about leadership. People stepping up and showing others a path forward and not being afraid to be a little outspoken, challenge the way things are. And I think maybe veterinary veterinary needs the same sort of thing because um, one of the things that I see in veterinary at the moment is, you know, I mentioned I became a partner in practice when I was four years qualified. You know, I did, my, my income didn't change much. Uh, I was making really good money as an assistant. You know, veterinary was a really viable career. Um, but, you know, there's a real challenge with younger vets now, you know, whether it be you know, through corporates or maybe the ability to get into practice. And I know not just vets, for veterinary nurses, career development. I think that's really important that people have a roadmap when they get into a career, they can see a progression. Um, and that's something we've got to figure out in veterinary. Yeah, I find, especially with the large animal side of things, that it's very difficult to recruit large animal vets now. Um, they, and they don't seem to be staying and to in keep practice. them in practice as well. Yeah. You know, I'm seven years in practice now. And um, I think, um, apparently, according to statistics, as a, as a female vet as well in practice, that's, um, I've, that, this is my last year, like, that's it. Yeah. Seven years. And then, you know, you get the chop. But, um, Thanks, Tommy. But no, like, I, and I love practice. And I haven't, look, we all have bad days. Like, I have bad days. And, you know, when you're TB testing and your brain is mush because you haven't seen a sick animal in days and... But then you have to maybe look at it as like, you know, you're doing your bit for food safety, public health. And, you know, you might see an odd animal. And I always try to make the most, most of the day. And I know that's something that probably you use, you know, that's a mantra of yours as well. And I think that, you know, you have to see where the, the you know, the possibilities within that TB test. You know, you can't just be, get down and out and be like, oh, no, another TB test. You know, talk to the farmer, see the, yeah. see the cow with the cancer eye and see you know do those kind of things and and I suppose just make the most of the day but yeah I, I you know there is challenges and and I, I think financially as well for the hours you do um I think um, one of my colleagues broke it down the hours in spring and hour you know pay per hour and um I think he was afraid to tell me what what it actually was but it was it was pretty bad but you know I don't think you I, th I think nowadays you don't go into veterinary for the money anyway um I miss that lovely window of making money, um, <laughs> Tommy. So, <laughs> I, made, I made I made good money as an assistant, um, no doubt about it. And then when I when I bought into practice, by the time I paid repayments, everything it, it wasn't a huge difference for all the risk. Now I would have done it a hundred times over if I was back again. I think large animal veterinary is going to change dramatically over the next ten years. I think I think we are going to struggle to recruit large animal vets. And I see larger hubs of veterinary practices for there to be large practices with better rota and um, I see technology playing a role. I, I watch some of the stuff that's happening at the diagnostic level, at a technology level on farms. 
uh, and there's a lot of data coming out farmers like I, I even see how quickly farmers are changing how 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 shrewd they are on business and production efficiency and yeah. um, so I, I think the role will change um a little bit more from that emergency clinical work to more and more herd health and I know we've been talking about it for maybe 20 odd years now but I think I really see yeah. a transition there for a number of reasons yeah but I think the hopefully with the introduction of the new rules for the um controlling antibiotic and reducing antibiotic use in 2022 might help drive that change as well so that was another question we were going to ask was you know do you feel we're doing enough as an industry in the battle against antimicrobial resistance and our reduction in the use of antimicrobials, especially in food producing animals? Yeah, it's a huge challenge. So I've thought a lot about this, you know, and I've thought a lot about, um, and I'm back out in farm, I'm involved with two farms at the road, you know, how easy it is, you know, and how useful antibiotics are and how, you know, they're, they're such a, a sort of a tool we've had in the toolbox and they work. Um, and then you talk about reducing them and resistance, and it all seems so far away from where you are in that moment when you need that antibiotic. So yeah. I think I think when we look at uh, AMR, and I, I've thought a lot about this, I think there's five things. We've got to change our mindset on antibiotics, and, and, and I think that's a bad thing, but that takes time to change your mindset because we've had them as, as these fantastic tools. But AMR, antibiotic resistance, is... You know, set to, you know, you talk about COVID deaths internationally this year, it's set to be 10 million people a year by 2050 on the modeling that they've done. So yes. it's a huge challenge. You talk to people in the medical profession, it's a massive, massive challenge. We're all in this together, humans, animals, the environment. So I think people have to change the way we think about antibiotics. And that's not a bad thing because antibiotics are designed to treat disease. We'll still have them there, but we've got to move, move towards prevention where we're looking at minimizing their use. That means we're keeping animals healthy. That means they're more productive. And that means, you know, overall, it's a more profitable type of system, but it takes a massive mind shift. Um, the next thing is we need to get really good at data um, because the legislation is changing. We've got to look at data. Um, and, and, and for me as well, I think we probably need to get better at probably when we use antibiotics, you know, 60% of clinical mastitis or 60% of mastitis cases will resolve on their own. So, you know, there's a massive chunk of the market if we knew what bugs were in the quarters that we could actually say, okay, it's an anti-inflammatory um, and it's supportive treatment. Um, calf scour is another one, you know, that, you know, we, we've used antibiotics orally to treat calf scours is almost, you know, like that feel good factor. And but 90% of them are either parasitic or viral. So there's huge changes in how we use it. And finally, then it's around really, I think now when you said it, Michelle, it's the time for herd health and optimizing herd performance um, to really come into its own. Yeah, and I, I apologize. I don't give short answers to anything. And I notice every time someone talks to me, I just keep talking and talking and talking. Sorry. That's okay. You gave very, you weren't just talking shite. Like you were making sense. So and we, like, need, we need content. Tommy. It's totally fine. Like if, we, if you were waffling on there now about your grandmother's teapot, like we'd stop you, but you were making total sense. Yeah, no. And I agree with you, Tommy. I think that, you know, it is herd health and everything, you know, we do need that. And I, I was out on the, you know, on a farm today or yesterday, actually, uh, doing a dry cow consult, which is a new, you know, initiative from AHI. And I think it's brilliant. Um, I've had really good meetings and, you know, there's a little comment box on, um, on the questionnaire. And it's like, how do you feel about using sealer only and not using antibiotics? And, you know, the farmer replied, nervous, but willing to try. And I think that's, Really just good. sums up what 
you know, what the, what the ag industry needs to be thinking. And, you know, it is a nervous thing because, you know, nobody wants their cows to get sick or anything. But I think the more information we can give as vets and advice um, to prevent, you know, the, those, those cows getting mastitis in the dry period, the better. And uh, I thought it was a nice, just simple phrase. Um, and I thought I was thinking of talking to you tonight, then I was thinking I'll bring that up. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Really interesting, Hazel. I do a bit of reading, and 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 I and I and I'm kind of with a group of people within agriculture and outside it that really like to challenge each other with, you know, read this or read that, and and, and I read a book, Future Professions, and it's the idea of artificial uh, artificial intelligence and how that's going to impact on medicine, veterinary, law, accounting, a whole range of things. And it's the idea in the book is that those professions will have to adapt to all this technology. And it's just like that piece there that we'll always need people there as coaching, support, mentoring. Um, so our roles as professionals might change um, because of the advent of technology. But, you know, somebody being nervous, like, I mean, when you break down herd health and you break down disease and you break farming systems and veterinary down, um, like the real skilled veterinarians are able to take all these different personality types with different challenges on the farm and actually help them through those challenges and be that person that they can trust in the devices. So it's a really, it's a really important topic. It's really interesting. Um, and it's almost like coaching almost that you're, 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 you're that person there. It's huge responsibility as well, but you're, you're saying to that person, he's nervous or she's nervous. And you're saying, no, we've got this. These are, this is the science. This is the facts. I'm going to be with you through this breakout council. So yeah, really, really interesting. Yeah, no, it's good. It's always hard to get people to try new things. Like the last company I worked for, they did a trial in the UK where they, used substituted non-steroidals in calf rearing uh, as opposed to prophylactic antibiotics which is what they used just for normal calf rearing so for any time they were moved into their batches they would normally get prophylactic antibiotics antibiotic regime they were doing we asked them to substitute the anti-inflammatory and of course that trial went on during the, the really bad winter do you remember where the snow was in march and all that so there was a lot of sleepless nights um, uh, when that was going on but i mean it, it, the trial did exactly as you know we thought it would like it, it, it dr drastically improved everything and reduced antibiotic use by like 45 percent so like there is white papers out there and there is studies that show treating calves and everything we do have the research but we're still a little afraid to just push it through and implement because i think if you say to the farmer right if you make this complete switch you'll reduce all your antibiotic usage and we know that calves won't die or whatever then if a calf dies you know you're like your head is on the block so how i guess when you say it's coaching and mentorship, how do you get them to, things are still going to happen and how do you get people to, on side and to try these new things, I guess? Yeah, well, I th again, I probably, I'm a bit obsessive, so I probably know about how we communicate and how we work on farms and what works and what doesn't work. The first thing I find that actually works well when you go onto a farm and you're thinking about it is actually start on what's working on the farm. So, you know, typically you go in and say, oh, this it's pneumonia, the shed is wrong, the ventilation is wrong, you're not vaccinating. There's always something that's working and I think that's a positive place to start. So you reinforce that there is some good there. I think the other thing as well is I might want to do something that's um, the best thing to do because of science I know, but it's not practical or doable. So I've got to find what, where the risks are and find a risk that the farmer is going to engage with and actually do and maybe see a result. And that builds a bit of confidence. And the other thing is that it's, it's all of this is slow. And especially when you're taking safety nets away, like blanket dry uh, antibiotics, it's about being there and understanding maybe the risks are there 
and it, it's it, it's actually slow and sometimes you've got to admit defeat that some people don't want to change and that's a real challenge maybe uh, you know some people um, need stricter legislation or they you know they don't want to make change most people though if you point out that they're they're, they're doing the right things that they're doing some good work that you identify the risks you get some results so if you want to farm you give them 15 things to do nothing will be done if you give them one or two practical solutions then you have a chance, but you've got to keep following it through and following it through. And there's days it doesn't work, and that's, that's hard as well. So I don't think I have all the answers, but I've thought a lot about it. And it's back to very much psychology and communication and, and maybe that trust in science as well along the way. Yeah, I think courage and, and for us all to be on the same page as well as a, as a profession, I think, you know, because um, there's going to be some people probably that are, oh, yeah, look, that cow could die, so I wouldn't, you know, you'd have, would, we all have to have a little bit of courage to use our clinical knowledge to advise. And I think that's what this dry cow consult is for me anyway, because yesterday I felt that I was kind of saying to him, look, your, S, your somatic cell count's so low. I said, you have had very little clinical mastitis. I know your farm. I know you're, you know, you're a young farmer. You're really into prevention and, and hygiene and everything. I said, you're a prime candidate for trying this and I think and I said look there is risks but you know even just having those little bit of encouraging words and I do think like if you just go in saying everything is negative I really do think you lose them at hello instead yeah. of you know yeah giving him confidence <laughs> in his own good work as yeah. you said Tommy like you know look your farm is good like you're doing a great job this you know if it's going to work for anyone it'll be you like yeah so yeah, well, I think empowering people to do anything. So I, I'm watching farmers at the moment in the whole environmental space and, I, and I'm involved with a project where we're looking at what the hell do we do? But uh, like there's lots of things we do, but I'm, I'm watching farmers who are making moves, maybe ahead of the curve, um, be it around reducing their antimentics, be it around reducing antibiotics and kind of just ahead of the curve. And they're, they're getting that sense of empowerment that they've got control over their farm that maybe they didn't have to, you know, they're relying more on biology and less on, on, on chemistry. Uh, our chemicals, uh, as a professor he said recently. And I think it's really interesting to watch people when you empower them in anything, because you they, they, they get a sense of control. And that's really important for anyone. Um, and it's a difficult thing to do. And it's the same with vets and vet nurses we develop in our careers, you know, uh, we can hang back as much as we want and, you know, be in the safety net, not going for the spay until we're three years qualified or maybe, you know, some, you know, some job in, in practice. But, you know, empowering people to feel like they're in control, whether it be farmers, vets or nurses, it's really good. It's really, it's, 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 it's interesting just to watch it. Yeah, essential part of our, our careers, really. So, um, yeah, I think that the AMR, you know, we've, we've solved it. No, no, we haven't solved it. Have, <laughs> I think it's very, very difficult. Oh, the challenges. I know, we know. Yeah, it's, we know the challenges. And I'd be very afraid to, uh, I'm really slow to, to give this impression that it's all roses and it's just about positivity and psychology and the whole thing started. No, it, there's some tough times ahead. There are some people that this will really challenge their farming businesses. Um, and there are some people that will adapt and some people will be way ahead of the curve. It's not going to be easy. There's no quick fixes to the environment. There's no quick fixes to AMR. And there's no, no quick fixes to any of these complicated problems. But it requires leadership, people standing up and saying yeah. the right thing, you know? Yeah. It's like when you come down to it all, if you can apply basic business, business strategy to all sectors, you know, this is kind of where I always feel like everyone should have to do modules of business and no matter what you're doing, because if a business doesn't adapt, it fails, you know what I mean? So like 
and that's the same for every industry and every business, no matter what it is you're doing. So if your farming industry is changing or the law is changing because you need to be farming in this way, like a business person would say, okay, where, where do we need to be? And they would be ahead of it. So mm. I guess it's, if, if people could treat all their little bits more like a business or more like a business person would a big organization and, and maybe we'd have a better chance and they might be less afraid of change. But again, it boils down to want to take risks. Fear is incredibly crippling. Um, and that's what most of us are consumed by or driven by is fear. Uh, fear of what will happen to us. Fear of what will, you know, social media. Fear of what people will think about us. So fear, we should never underestimate fear either and really deal with it in a delicate and, uh, and, and I suppose just understand the impact of fear on people. But I agree with you that it is, the change is so difficult. But one thing yeah. is sure about COVID-19 is that, you know, whatever trends were there, this crisis will actually speed up the existing trends. So I think my, my, I have a lot of theories on where agriculture will be in 10 years, but it's going to be really dramatically different. And the reality for VEX as well and farmers is that we will see synthetic biology grow. So, you know, whether we like it or not, we're going to see lab-grown meat, we're going to see plant-based. But I think there's space for everything. We'll, 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 we'll have to really fight our corner uh, and be very clear about what we're doing, what we want, and, and what our products do um, at a human health perspective. So it's going to be a really interesting decade. Yeah, fast. And I think the, the new the new vets coming along, you know, as well, they, they're being taught all of this in, in university. And, you know, I was even taught when I came out of college, you know, there was certain antibiotics that I wouldn't even dream of mentioning. And then it was, it just, you get into practice then and it just kind of, sometimes you're not courageous enough to just say no, um, I found. But I definitely feel like I, you know, I know my teaching is there and I just need to, Need to be a bit more, um, yeah, educational and 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 courageous. I like that word, braver. Yeah, I know I've done enough of talking, and again, I have to apologise. But when you think about breakdown, when it got real for me around antibiotics, was a couple of things. I talked to a couple of professors in human hospitals, and they talked about okay, chemotherapy, for example. Okay, we talk about you know chemotherapy as those chemicals, but actually a big part of that yeah, of chemotherapy working is because it suppresses the immune system so much. People go on to a cocktail of antibiotics um, to get them through when their immune system drops out. And, and I think, you know, like even t simple things like that, the impacts of AMR on that. And then when, like, I, I look at my own kids, one of, one of our five children, she's had ear infections, chest infections, different things. And we give her the antibiotics and they work. But then when you know about AMR, that's kind of a scary, scary pro prospect. So yeah. it's, it's about understanding that the good behavior is not just from a legislative perspective. We're actually doing the right thing for our animals as well, because we don't want antibiotic resistance in our farms or our pets, but for you know the greater society, for ourselves, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and I mean, there's a really good documentary, I don't know if anyone has seen it, it used to be on Netflix, it's called Resistance. But it just like, there's, a, there's one part in that and it's really, really effective. And it literally, the, the screen scrolls up and they show the, the year that each antibiotic class was invented and the year mm -hmm. that resistance was first identified. And like, that's horrifying because like for the basic penicillins, it was like first widespread use or a first invention in 1945, first developed a re resistance in 1947, <laughs> Do you know? And it's like, when they go through all the classes yeah. like that, it, that's a really, um, I remember watching that going, oh my God, what have we done to all the amazing things we've created? <laughs> Now, I would say that the figures I quoted earlier on are kind of scary, and it's not scare tactics, but also on the other side of it, 
And um, there's some really exciting work done on, been done on probiotics, prebiotics, the microbiome, immune modulators. Um, so it's not all scary. And I think, you know, I think even from a livestock production point of view and the quality of, of protein and food we produce, we've actually a very important part in the human nutrition health space as well. So yeah. there's, there's all the different angles there to it. Hmm. Yeah, it's all very interesting. We could talk about AMR all so night, but we'll, we better move on. We might move on to something a bit more lighthearted and talk about what you do outside veterinary, Tommy, and how do you keep your mental well-being on track and, you know, how do you de-stress and things like that? Yeah, good question. I was asked last week, I do a talk for the vet students in UCD every year uh, for the vet society. And this year I threw back and I said, look, give me, give me something that's going to challenge me a bit, something different, you choose. And they came up with a topic called how to be a happier vet in practice. And I really, uh, that week felt like a complete, no, it's a great topic, but I felt like, hold on a second here now, I'm actually not living out what I'm going to be talking about. Um, so, and I'm very conscious of that. You know, I don't want to come across as some guy who's, some person who's got it all sorted and it's all happy-go-lucky and, you know, life is, is a breeze. It's not. Um, so I struggle like everybody else. And even last week, you know, COVID restrictions, uh, business decisions, uh, and I was feeling the pressure. And I'm, and I, I have, I'm, as, I'm as flawed as any human being. I'm obsessive about work. I'm probably not that balanced. Um, I have a young family. I don't give them enough time. Uh, and that includes my wife. So I have to get better as well at, at things. So what do I do? Um, I sure as hell could be better, but I exercise pretty regularly. Um, if I'm coming under a lot of stress, I, I, pra I practice meditation. Um, I have two great buddies, two great friends. We talk to each other a couple of times a day, the three of us, um, and we talk about stuff that's totally, uh, you know, we talk about, um, I suppose, politics, agriculture, but then we talk about really silly stuff as well. Um, and I find that a, a great break. Yeah. So I don't have it started, but I do, I do, I'm self-aware enough to realize when I come under pressure that I'll take evasive action in relation to probably meditation, um, probably up my exercise. Um, but I don't have, I certainly don't have the magic, uh, magic. I feel like a little bit um, like I'm going to talk to the students next week and they're asking me to, to talk about a topic that they think maybe I've started and I don't. Mm, yeah, well, that's always a good way, place to start and say, look, I don't have the answers, like, but this is what I do because it's always good to share your own experiences. That yeah, and they'll, they'll appreciate your honesty as well, you know, and I think though you have a lot of, you know, you, you are, like you said, self-aware. Like that's so important to be self-aware yeah. um, and sometimes maybe I maybe I think I'm self-aware and then sometimes I'll just have a complete meltdown and then I'm like oh actually I'm really stressed and I probably <laughs> just need to take a break um look I did a post last week about agri-mental health and and like I drink a lot of coffee and I love going for my little coffee um in between testing or my nice I used to go for nice lunches and there's so much more than just food and caffeine or whatever it's more about the going into the, the shop and and getting your nice coffee the smells the the boost you get from it and just stopping and taking time for yourself yeah it's something for me and I think in a busy day doing something like that can be so important and you know just taking advantage of being a large animal vet being able to stop and have a coffee because maybe if you're, large, if you're a large if you're a small animal vet you mightn't be able to do that because you're you know you're inside the clinic so you know, there's always positives um, in the day, I think. That's another challenge with social media is that you do look across the fence and you compare yourself to other people, be it professionally, personally, um, yeah. and that's difficult. Sometimes you've got to look at who are you? It's a hard, the hardest question you can ask is who are you? 
because um, a lot of people don't figure that out. Uh, it's a difficult question. It takes maybe time. But, you know, you know, trying to be other people, you know, being comfortable in who you are, maybe having some idea of knowing where you're going, that, you know, you have some goals around your career, your life, maybe. Because um, they're, they're, it's good to have targets because we can wander without them. And I find that sort of stuff good as well, that I have a written plan and write down my ideas. I say I'm going to visualize them like you're supposed to, but I don't always get around to that. But um, I think I have a fair idea of where I want to be in five or ten years' time. Uh, I thought I'd be there a bit sooner, but I'm not. But um, yeah, and I think it's knowing it's knowing what you want to do, and that comes not just from a work perspective or you know people look off in a monetary perspective, but you know it's personally where you'd like to be with your relationships, with your family. They're like they're they're the important things. They're the things that probably in my wheel of life. Right, wrong all along us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I want to be next Monday. <laughs> Visualization, Michelle. No, but I, I'm not I have the right answer. But I think from a from a psychological perspective, when you look at human beings and human behavior, we, we do function better when we have some idea where we're going. Um, and I think like you know, it's hard. Like if if, if, you, if defining happiness is hard now because because mean different things to different people, right? And it's not about being eternally positive and happy all the time. It's about the ups and downs of dealing with those emotions. But I suppose growth is a really important component to that. And that's what you're doing with Vetspace. You're pushing yourselves into a totally different arena, talking about subjects maybe you didn't do in college per se, but you're talking about your life experiences and you're putting yourself out there. So you're growing. And I, and I bet you, you know, when you... Uh, sorry, it's like I, it's like I'm gone back and I'm I'm interviewing you too. I apologize. <laughs> right, we better move <laughs> on to the the something light, lighter than the mental. Okay. The... So what was sorry. your what's your funniest veterinary moment to date? Maybe a funny call or something like that that you had, or, or any funny that story. Was mental that you're just like I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Um, lots of things happened. A lot of them are probably the, it's the, there's no watershed for the stories that probably maybe happened when I was younger and a little bit wilder. But um, I do remember one of the, one of the times when I was TV testing cattle and I wasn't land qualified and I went I was working Kildare and I went out to these farmers and through the land commission. The father was originally from Clare and they moved to Clare to this farm and his son was there. Lovely people. Clare people are fabulous, right? And a great conversation. I was in Kerry and we were talking. Clare was a great place to work. So we were about to start the test and there was a little collie dog running around the place and we're getting the cattle in the crush and things were going great. So I started testing and next thing, you know, I'd introduce myself, obviously. Next thing, the father and the son started shouting, Tammy, Tammy, come back from the crush. I was there, Jesus, what's happening? Because I was kind of in the moment of right, what am I doing wrong? So I was going to step back from the crush. And then this happened about three times. And I hadn't noticed the collie dog was running uh, in around me during the, and actually annoying the cattle, obviously. And the dog's name was Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y. And I just remember, I remember that fear that the whole thing had changed in the space of five minutes. And <laughs> it was, Tammy, Tammy, Tammy. I, said, I, I mean, I said, how did these people change? So there's been lots of little things like that along my career that... Um, <laughs> And, and like, it's fun, you know, isn't it? <laughs> and people, like some of the people you meet and the characters you meet. And, you know, I talk about now, I talk a lot about, you know, herd efficiency, herd performance. And, you know, some of the best characters you meet in practice, you know, they're no interest in herd performance or, or profitability or, you know, they were characters. They, you know, they, they were, they were, they, they might have gone to the pub five days a week or, you know, they were wild, you know, they were, they were eccentric. Um, and, <laughs> always find wild and eccentric people fascinating you know uh, they'd always leave you with a smile in your face or a story about 
regaling something they did in their youth, or maybe it was the week before. Um, and look, it's far removed from you know her deficiency. And but I, I think those sort of characters we see less and less of them now. Um, yeah. They were brilliant. My granduncle was, was that type of character. He was far removed from, from her deficiency. Um, but you know he was wild and and, and lived a different life. But I think there's those kind of moments stay with you, those characters, um, those people you meet, definitely. I think as um, I, I really, really wish that I kept a little journal of all the little stories that happened. And I know Austin has written a book now and things. I'm, I think there's probably a book in a lot of vets, though. Like, I think there's just, I don't know, there's a lot of funny people you meet along your way in a very... I don't know, nice way, and you, you make friends with them as well, and, and it's it's uh, it's gas, but Tammy the dog. Gardeners yeah. are gas, like I worked in mixed practice for a very short space time, but I could have literally spent all day just at the counter chatting to the farmers coming in. Yeah. They were just so funny, like especially Tipperary people, you know, because they're just gas. <laughs> great characters. Yeah. So yeah, we've kind of covered one one question to finish maybe just before we do a little funny quick round um quick fire round what was what's been your biggest life lesson tommy that's what well, we discussed that's, a lot of them tonight yeah i i don't have one I've, 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 I've lots i get them every day i think you know um i think look um when i struggled in practice from transitioning to business owner i made loads of mistakes uh, um my life lessons are to be more empathetic a little bit more understanding stand in the shoes of other people Learning is such a great bug to catch. Um, it's such a great bug. I think, you know, and I'm conscious sometimes I don't always live this out, but life is incredibly short. It's good to take a few risks. And despite the seriousness of the, of the content this evening, I actually am able to have a little bit of fun. Um, but uh, no, so I think there's been lots of lessons. I think life gives me lessons all the time. I look at everybody, like that lady on the farm, my barber, I go into my barber and get my hair cut. And he's the most relaxed dude in the world. You know, he's no worries or cares. He's a really good chill attitude. So I just think there's lessons everywhere if we open our mind and actually look for them. Um, and I suppose I, we're all flawed. So it's all about incremental small changes and getting a little bit better. Um, so I don't have one, to be honest with you, Hayley. I think that's yeah, an amazing good. answer, though. Right? Yeah. And, and speaking of, um, Barb, I was at the hairdressers. This is a funny story. I had a hair appointment booked at six o'clock because one of my things for self, you know, awareness and care and all that is getting my blow dries. <laughs> so I had my blow dry booked Friday evening, six o'clock after testing 1200 cattle. I was thinking I'll be finished by four. No bother. No. 20 past five in a field looking across <laughs> acres of field and no sign of these heifers coming in. And I was like, oh my God. So I rang up the hairdresser. I said, I'm here in a field. I'm looking at the heifers. There is no heifers coming in. And I don't even know that she know what a heifer was, but I was just given, and then I sent her a video of me with the shadow of me and then showed her the picture of the heifers coming a mile down the road. And she just texts back. She was like, Hazel, this is cracking us up here in the salon. We are, you know, so entertained. We cannot believe that you're out in the middle of a field. But like, and I made it five past six. I was there. And I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's brilliant. But um, I, think, yeah, so, Hazel, I think your hair requires a little bit more work than mine, or you uh, give yours a little attention to mine. But have some of mine if you want. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot. Of, <laughs> we'll get hair done for again after today. So uh, no hair. Over my hair. Looks or life, should I say? <laughs> Thank you. So quick fire personality round. Okay. You go. So um, tea or coffee? Uh, coffee. 
Clippers or scissors? Uh, it was scissors. Uh, mountains or ocean? Uh, mountains. A boat. Very hard to decide. Boat. Love boat. Mountain looking out the ocean. Oh, fabulous, yeah. Drink of choice? Um, probably Heineken or I've got more mature now and I'm gin and tonic, although I haven't drank that much in the last year. Oh, lovely. Uh, a C-section or a prolapse as your ideal on-call call? I love C-sections in the finish of practice. Do you? A Jeep or a van? Uh, Jeep. And lastly, if Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian are both drowning and you can save one, which one are you saving? Um, tricky one, tricky one we know. Um, definitely Kim Kardashian, if you're saving one, but I think um, I have huge issues with Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> but it's a very complicated question. Very complicated, but it'll be Kim Kardashian, obviously. <laughs> Good answer. That's a good answer. Well, Tommy, thank you. Thanks, Tommy. It's been so, class. so, so much for joining us. And as the first guest as well, we were so privileged to have you on. And um, yeah, yeah, I think there was a lot of information there, a lot of good content, a lot of thought provoking yeah. things. As and well. I really enjoyed it. So thanks so much for giving up some of your. Oh, I did and I really mean it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a bullshitter. I tend to be uh, desperately honest. That's one thing. I'm not flat around. And I think well done to the two of you. Keep up the good work. It's very important what you're doing. Really important conversations. And like, I, I know that road of starting something new and it's not easy. Um, so you should be commended that people don't see the hard work. But I think people can see that you both really care and that's really important. So well done to both of you. Thank you. Thanks so, so much. much, Tommy. We'll yeah. talk to you Keep soon. Keep up the Ag Inspire as well. Yes. So. check us out on social media and tag us whilst you're listening to the podcasts. We'd love to see it.